Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church. We are located in Evansville, Indiana. We are a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Today is Monday, December 19th, 2022. This is edition number 13 of season 7. We are working our way through the book of Joshua. Today we come to a very large section in the book of Joshua, which I'm going to take in uh, in very brief uh, overview of chapters 13 through 19. You might recognize this section of Joshua. It's the land allotment. It's the inheritance that are given to the people of God. The land had rust from war, and now the land is being distributed to the tribes, and the people will go out and dwell in those places appointed places. Let's pray first, and then we'll consider just very briefly uh, a quick survey overview of these chapters and glean, I hope, Lord willing, uh, some uh, very important lessons for us to consider. Let's pray. Father, as we now come to your word, we come uh, hoping, praying uh, that you would remember your promises to give us the grace we need, your spirit to teach us these things that are here in your in, in your word, we uh, pray that we would learn from these things and we would uh, apply them to our lives. We thank you for your kindness to us and ask that you'd forgive us for our sins, that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and that you would cause us now uh, to glean uh, from your word those things we need, uh, that we might honor you, glorify you, and live faithfully before you, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, as I said, we are going to consider a, a, a quick uh, overview of Joshua 13 through 19. It is the section here now in which Joshua uh, begins to uh, set forth uh, the inheritance of the people. Um, chapter 13 begins with the inheritance east of the Jordan, and then chapter 14, the inheritance west of the Jord- Jordan. Uh, chapter 15 is the allotment for Judah. Um, chapter uh, 16, the allotment for Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, Chapter uh, 18 is the allotment of the remaining land, and then the inheritance for Simeon, the inheritance for Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan, as well as for Joshua. These are important sections. They're not to be ignored, nor uh, um, uh, to be treated as just mere information. They do teach us a number of things. First, I want to just do something and really this devotional is rooted in a, a series of sermons that I have preached to this book, um, but uh, more specifically, uh, this particular edition of the devotional will look at the, uh, the basic outline that I prepared for the sermon that I preached many a number of years ago on this uh, section of Joshua. First, uh, the survey through the land allotment. Uh, We note the background. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains, all the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Gersherites from the Shior, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron. It is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Geza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron and those of the Avium in the south, all the land of the Canaanites and Merah that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites. And it goes on to continue to detail this issue. Now, the reason we have this background given is that Moses was not 
the key to the people crossing the Jordan. He had died before they entered the land. Joshua is not the key to the people conquering every area of Canaan. There was still much left to be done. The point, of course, here is that um, it is the Lord himself. The key is the everlasting faithfulness of God and his faithfulness accomplishing the, the, the taking of the land and then the giving of the land to the people. The allotment, there are a number of instances in which the land was not completely conquered. First in Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and then west of the Jordan in chapter 15, Judah could not inhabit Jerusalem. In chapter 16 and 17, Ephraim and Manasseh, who are the sons of uh, Joseph, in chapter 16 and uh, verse 10, we, there we read, However, they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. In chapter 17, uh, the tribe of Manasseh in verses 12 and 13. Uh, there we read, yet the people of Manasseh could not take possession of those cities, but the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. Now when the people of Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. In chapters 18 and 19, there are seven more tribes with two driving items throughout these chapters. There's the theo theological context. First, the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. So this is the place uh, at first that God dwelled with his people. The tent of meeting, the tabernacle, the place of worship now is established. Chapter 18 and verse 1. And then there are instructions given to them in verses 5 and 6. Um, uh, important instructions for them to consider. Now, some conclusions we can draw from this. Uh, this is a real place and a real people. It happened, but it happened to communicate a deeper theological meaning regarding our pilgrimage in the Christian life. That is to say that we are continuing to advance as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the church militant. I've made this statement before. We are not the church at rest, not yet. We are the church that is still to wage war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And though we've inherited much, we have much to do. And these tribes, though inherited these places, they still have much to do. The other thing that we can conclude from this is that God's people did receive exactly what had been promised. God had promised these things to them. And we can trust the promises of God. There is reliability in the Word of God. And when we find promises given to the people of God, we must trust them, we must believe them, we must pray them. We must understand that this comes from the very mind of God, and we must put our hope and trust there. Now, there are some themes and tensions throughout this section. There is the theme of inheritance, of course, that is given to the people. They inherit these things. That is to say, it comes from another. That's what an inheritance is. It's not something that you've earned, necessarily. It's something that comes from another, a gracious bestowing of gifts upon a person, uh, maybe you've uh, received an inheritance from a family member who had passed away and they left you a certain uh, sum of money or possessions. Well, you didn't earn that. That is something that was granted to you by the gracious act of your family member. Well, this is the same idea here. These inheritances are something that the people of God were given by the grace of God. And we in Christ have received a great inheritance, a number of things. The promises of God are ours. They're yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we've received the hope of glory in the new heavens and the new earth. We've received the inheritance of the promise of the Holy Spirit and him sealing us to the day of redemption. 
And, I, and on and on it goes. Time does not afford me to continue. There are some religious themes here. Joshua and the priest gave the allotments to the people. The Levites received a certain allotment, the service of the Lord, uh, picturing what we are as believers. Uh, we are priests uh, to the, uh, all of us. It's the priesthood of all believers. Uh, and Peter makes that reference in 1 Peter chapter 2. Our inheritance is not a parcel of land, but it's God himself. Much like the Levites, their inheritance was God himself. And ours in Christ, our inheritance is the, the Lord of glory. Our inheritance is the triune God. There can't be a greater inheritance than that. That is our possession. We uh, belong to him and he to us. Uh, we see the theme of the religious center of the people given in chapter 18, uh, that where they would worship in Shiloh. There was a specific place in which they would go. Now, we have that today, of course, uh, not uh, just one singular place, but we gather as God's people on the Lord's Day. We go to a place. Uh, by necessity, we gather in a place. Uh, churches are not uh, just a handful of people. Uh, they are a number of people, and so a building becomes a necessary place in which we gather. It is not a temple. It is merely a building. There's nothing holy about the building, but what we do in that building is, in, is indeed a holy expression. And of course, there's this theme of success, that what was lost in Eden due to sin is now reclaimed in part by the conquering of the land and the giving of this inheritance to the people. Now, that is exactly what's going to happen. We are experiencing the great reversal of the fall. All that was lost in sin will be restored uh, not only to the people of God, but to the creation itself. All of creation groans, waiting for the day of redemption. And so we see this in type and shadow and picture in this inheritance given. These are some of the themes that are presented. But there are some tensions, the already and not yet tension of this particular section of Joshua. We have the New Testament parallel that victory has been attained by Christ. No one would dispute that. It is finished, he said. Victory has been accomplished. Christ has accomplished all that was necessary, but we still wait and we still look for that great day in which we will be vindicated for all eternity. The people of old had been victorious, but there was still work to do. And we too are victorious. We are on the right side of the, uh, of the war. We are victorious in Christ, but there is still work to do. There are some New Testament perspectives also to consider in this section. This issue of a parcel of land today is a picture of that which leads to a greater country tomorrow. We are not waiting for a picture of land, much to the contrary of the dispensational understanding of these things. We are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth, the grand reversal of all that has been ruined by sin. Abraham himself expected a greater city, says the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11. We are looking forward, not to a parcel of land, but a promised world of which there is no more sin, death, sorrow, or tears. We are now saved as ones justified in Christ, but we still await eternal final salvation. Those that persevere to the end will be saved. Third, we see here in these sections that the force of hell have been overcome, but we are still at war. Now, I've mentioned this already. 
Fourth, we enjoy the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit, but we await his presence in eternity. That is to say, the beatific vision, the Christian hope that we belong to Christ and he is ours, but we still hope for a greater thing. We hope to see him, be like him, and be with him for all of eternity. And we see today by faith, but then one day we will indeed see by sight. We suffer for the sake of the gospel today, much like the people in that land and these chapters suffered for the sake of, um, of the gospel. We too suffer, but one day we'll be openly acknowledged and acquitted and suffer no more. And then finally, we enjoy a sliver of heaven today, much like they enjoyed that in the promised land. We enjoy that today in the, that which we are reminded each Lord's Day but one day we will enjoy it in full substance and in fullness and in substance. Now, there are some things I think we can learn, four things that we can learn from this, these sections, these, these chapters 13 through 19. First, we need to learn patience. God is securing a people for himself and will ultimately conquer all his and our enemies. We live as the church militant right now, but we will eventually be the church at rest. Second, promise. What God says he will do, he does. It is not always quick. It rarely is that, actually. But he is working for the good of his church, and we must hold on to his promise of a better city and full conquest. Third, paradise. What was lost in Eden will be restored. It has been done, in part to the living temple of God, you and me. But someday in the new heavens and the new earth will be ours. Full conquest awaits all those that love him. And then finally, peace. A peace that cannot be described awaits God's people. A peace secured by the presence of God who will light the greater city, the heavenly Zion. And so there's much we can learn from these chapters. And I realize I went very quickly through them. But as you read them, you look for these themes and these tensions that are presented here for us. And draw. let your mind be fixated on the future hope and the ultimate promise of God to his people that he will bring to us a new heavens and a new earth, and he will bring to us he who has redeemed us, and we will see him, be like him, be ever with him. This is all pictured for us in these chapters, and they are the things that are given to us, promised to us, settled in eternity by our Heavenly Father. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. I hope they are. If you have any comments or questions, you can leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so until... The Tuesday edition, when we look at a much smaller section of Joshua chapter 14, we consider the faithfulness of Caleb. May the Lord bless you today. May you serve him. God bless.